Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you here to Waypoint. My name is Trish DeVries, and I'm on staff and on the worship team here, and we're just excited to lead you in worship. And we are here to praise our great God because he has brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light.
let's sing that chorus with me. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden, you are our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down. God, we thank you that even though that we have sin in our lives that that you still accept us the way we are, that you take our sin and you give us your life. And I pray that we are, we are here this morning because of what you've done, because of who you are. And our hearts are open to you because you see everything anyway. You know us. That even while we were still sinners, you died for us. And we just thank you that you have made us alive in Christ and that you want to fill us with your light, your love, and your grace and your power. And I pray that we would open ourselves to you this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could please have a seat. Well, we want to do a song to you this morning, but before we do that, just to kind of preface it a little bit, uh, first of all, I want to say um, that my husband over here, Jeff, that he's pretty awesome, and I'm just glad to have him up here with me, and we've been married, it'll be 30 years in April, so, so yeah, it's quite something. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, well, I was a baby. <laughs> Um, and one of the things I love about him is that he is just like the most responsible, hardworking guy that I know. And, uh, and just like everyone here, he has his buttons or his 5%, 5% that, <laughs> that I've learned to avoid. And, um, and one of the things that I have learned over the years not to say when I've done something wrong is that it ain't my fault. on the beer, blame the beer on the whiskey, blame the morning on the night for who's hanging here with me, blame the bar for the band, blame the band for the song, blame the song for the party that went all night long, but it ain't my fault, no it ain't my fault, no it ain't my fault, no, it ain't my fault. but I had a little fun, a lot of wrong Blame the hurt and blame the hurt 
I need an alibi. Find me a witness who can testify. You made a mistake, you got the wrong guy. I'm only guilty of a real good time. No, it ain't my fault. try it. My wife likes country music. The next time we're having a little discussion, maybe I'll just reference that song and say, the only thing I'm guilty of is having a real good time. I'll let you know how that goes. Silly, right? Silly to think about trying to do something like that. But if I were to ask you to take an honest look at your relationships, the whole pile of them, um, co-workers, friends, family members, maybe your brother and sister, even your spouse. I wonder how many times you could identify either a thought that you've had or maybe you've said it out loud that the situation that's happening and unfolding right there, it isn't my fault. If they hadn't done or if they had only done Look, they forced my hand on this. I don't have any other choice but to respond and react. I have to do this. And, and you're right, initially, right? Initially, somebody made a mistake. Somebody chose to do something that when that rolls into a relationship, it harms it. And so there's a response to that. But last week, we were talking about the kind of responses that we would have if, if God's plan was to create equals, make them interdependent, and then join them together. I'm talking about marriage. And the responses would be, oh, mutual submission, sacrificial love, and respect. And you're like, oh, man, no, I don't respond that way because they did something wrong. Listen, 
They have to pay. There's consequences for sin. Stuff has to roll downhill. They should be in pain for this. And so you get upset. And let me just tell you this. This, this is the morning. This is the morning in a nutshell. If you're not going to listen to anything else, listen to this. You, um, when you're in a relationship, you're responsible for two things. You're responsible for the failures that you bring into that relationship. Those initial things that you've done wrong that cause problems. But you're also responsible for your responses to the failures of the other. You're responsible for your failures and you're responsible for how you respond to the failures of that other person. And when you choose to respond poorly, things go bad. You know what's, what's fascinating? 35, 40 years of marriage research they've got right now. And, and you would think that what everybody identifies as the things that kill a marriage would be the big things that make the surveys all the time. It turns out it's not true at all. What they've found that does in more marriages than anything else, it's the response to the failure and your response to their response and how that goes down. You look at the surveys. They take them every year, and lots of different groups do them. I've, I've been just kind of checking them. They really haven't changed that much. If you look at the top reasons people are saying this relationship is going to end, you'd find money, you'd find sex, you'd find infidelity, you'd find incompatibility, you'd find we're falling out of love with each other. On that list, somewhere lower to the bottom, is the reason that researchers have found that more often than not, this is the one. And, and they don't even identify it properly. They just say, ah, we're fighting a lot. It turns out how you respond to each other, the way you choose to do that, will either determine whether that relationship succeeds or fails. If you're responding with what God had in mind for what a relationship would operate with, mutual submission, respect, and sacrificial love, then those things, even those big things that we talked about, could actually be overcome. Now, now here's the thing. I, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Mutual submission, sacrificial love, and respect is not a magic potion. I've become convinced that some relationships cannot be repaired. The, the initial thing that rolls into that relationship breaks it so badly, you're not going to put it back together. Or the repeated thing, somebody just keeps doing something over and over and over and over again, and they say they're sorry, but then they do it again and again. And eventually, it breaks the relationship. And you might say, what do you mean it can't be put back together? God can do anything. Yes, he can. But even he has boundaries. He will not force you to do something that you don't want to do. And what happens in these relationships where there's a massive breaking is sometimes one of the people just gives up and is done. They're exhausted. They can't do it anymore. Now, if, if both parties came to a broken situation and wanted to repair it, God could do incredible and amazing things. He could, he could take that relationship somewhere. But when it's only one, 
the chances of you putting something great back together by using sacrificial love and respect and submission is not going to work. In fact, our responses that we've learned from all kinds of people before we get married, our responses that we develop even while we're married with our friends, coworkers, that sort of thing, they roll into our marriage and they disrupt things. They, ca they cause these failures that happen to be met with a lot of fire. Like we get heated up. And there's a reason for that. I share this verse with every couple that I do premarital counseling with. Because I think they should know what's causing the problem. What's really at the heart of it. In James chapter 4 verse 1, he has some insight on this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? This is really important. You want to pay attention. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Verse 2 says, you desire but you do not have. You have these wants or expectations, and they're not met. They're not fulfilled, and it upsets you because you wanted something, and it didn't go your way. Now, this can happen with big things. We made that big list. When those things are off, there's real problems. But this can happen. This develops in a lot of small things where we develop a habit of how to interact with each other. In fact, I found a little video that has a whole pile of small things. I want to see if you identify with any of these. <laughs> I suspect I'm hearing guilty laughter. Like I watched that and there were a whole bunch of things on there that we've had arguments about. And some of them got heated. Why? Because I wanted things a certain way. I was talking to a guy after first service and he goes, yeah, I was an under-toilet paper guy. I got married, and a week later, it had to be over. And, that, and he goes, it's been that way ever since. I was like, smart compromise, right? Instead, sometimes we kind of fight about this kind of stuff. And the habits that we make have the ability to work into our relationships and cause problems. Well, we're in a series called Game of Thrones, his versus her, conflict that happens. And we're trying to figure out what it will look like to be his and her. And in this uh, fictional world of uh, Westerosis, uh, this kingdom of Westerosis, there is a wall that sits on the north part of this kingdom. It's a, you can see those are horses down there, so you can see how big this wall is. This is hundreds of feet tall. And the reason this wall is there is because on the other side of the wall is an enemy. This is an enemy that wants to destroy and kill, and they're called White Walkers. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and run some slides of what the White Walkers look like, so this evening when you go to bed, you'll have something fun to dream about, okay? Now, the White Walkers bring just a few things. When they come, they bring winter. And when they come, they bring death. They're going to they're gonna end up destroying everything in their path. And the... And it's pretty obvious when you see them and you understand what their intentions are and what their goals are, why there would be a huge wall there and that you would never choose to open the gate to let them in. You'd never do that. And yet here's what's kind of odd. Uh, marriage researchers now have had the ability to take, they, they do this all around the country, there's enough people trained that they can do this now. They can take a couple into the room 
and they can ask him to have a common argument that they have with each other. And in three minutes, they can tell you if the relationship is in trouble. At the end of 15 minutes, they can tell you if the relationship is headed for a divorce or not, and they'll get it right 90% of the time. Now, they're able to do this because they're looking for seven things. Seven things that are happening in that, in that relationship discussion that show up. And one of them we're going to call marriage white walkers. There are ways that we interact with each other that will bring death to your relationship. In fact, they're often the reason why something dies. It's not the initial thing. It's that response. And these responses, uh, here's what's odd. These responses happen because we've thrown open the gate and we've invited them in. The thing that you would never do on the Game of Thrones is invite the White Walkers in, and yet in our relationships, in our marriages, we throw the door open and then we invite these things in that will kill our relationship. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you the four, the four White Walkers that if you're playing with, if they're in your relationship, by the way, they're going to be in your relationship we all have these habits. The question is, how comfortable are, with, are you with them, and how intense are they? Are you at war with them? Are you trying to push them out of your relationship? Or are they, like, you've invited them in, and you've given them space, and they camp there. If that's happening, it's a problem. It's something that you should be concerned about. Now, we're going to start, um, we're, we're also going to highlight a couple of the other uh, things that they would identify when they put you in that room, but they come from these four white walkers. They come from these things operating in your life. And the first one, uh, quite simply, is just criticism. It's just criticism. It's when that initial failure happens, and your response is to make sure that you point out that they dis that you disapprove of them, that they're at fault, and you want them to feel a sense of blame and shame. It could be big. It could be a big thing that you mess with. It could be the smallest thing that you mess with. But you're going to find a way to criticize. You're going to point it out so that they feel bad for that initial response. Um, it could be a statement that you make that's huge. It makes them feel bad immediately. Or it could be like little gnats all day long. You point out how they didn't do this right, how they failed there, how they didn't meet your expectation, how this, this, this. And it's like these gnats flying around their head all day long where they hear criticism from you all the time. Now, now there's reasons that this happens. And you would think maybe, maybe you can outgrow this one, right? The older you get, the longer you've been married, maybe the less criticism you use in your marriage. We tested that theory by going to a couple who's been married for a, um, a pretty long time here at Waypoint, and we asked them, what does criticism look like in your relationship? Let's see what they said. If you didn't pick that up, married 33 years, and they're still wrestling with it. How can that be? It's because we all still have wants and expectations and you've married somebody who's imperfect, and you're imperfect too, and, and you should face this. You'll be dealing with this for the rest of your lives. 
And so how you respond to it matters because we're all full of flaws and those flaws come out. And because you're close to somebody, you get to see them all. And how you respond to that makes a difference. And I'm telling you right now, if your choice is to throw open the door and to criticize, to place blame and fault, to make that person feel bad for their failure, you're going to be inviting all kinds of trouble into your relationship. If you're wondering, well, what else can I do? Because they did something that was wrong. I have to say something, don't I? I can't just let that go. They're annoying me to death. Oh, it's worse than that. Because they know you so well, let's say they've done something that hurts you deeply and they know it because they know how to hurt you. If you don't speak up, how can you have a great relationship? The question is how you do it. So let, be, because this is so important, I just want to spend a little time on this. Because there's a difference, a different thing that you could choose to do that would actually allow you to communicate what you're upset about without it being criticism. And, and here's the thing. If it starts with criticism, you open the door and you're going to look at what happens next. So maybe you could do this instead. Instead of criticizing, you could complain. Now that's not, that's not whining and griping the whole day and now feeling better about that. It's a different strategy for what you're trying to communicate. You've been hurt, you've been let down, somebody failed you in some way, and you're trying to tell them without being critical. Now here's the deal. Criticism is global. Criticism, when you decide to give somebody criticism, you decide to pull in as many other things into that situation as you can. It's not just that they failed you, now you criticize their character too. Or you criticize the personality that they have. And you demand for changes to be made in who they are. And the problem is your character. Now all of a sudden you're talking about a much bigger issue. Your goal is to make sure that they feel a sense of blame or fault. That's what criticism does. But a complaint doesn't. What a complaint is trying to do is it gets specific. It's saying, listen, the thing that I'm upset about is this narrow slice of the pie. I'm not going to drag your character in. I'm not going to drag all of this other stuff in. This is not your personality. This is about this one thing that you've done. And instead of trying to make you feel at fault, I want you to understand how I see this. And I'm trying to understand why you made that choice. It's about understanding. In, um, with criticism also, you'll find you statements. You did this, and often attached with extremes. Always, never, ever. If you want to really pour gasoline on something, tell them they did it, you did it, and you always do that. And the reason that pours gasoline on the fire is they're going to be able to think of the one time where it wasn't always that way and the fight is on, right? But on the other side, if you just found a way to express your feelings, this is how this made me feel when you did this. What you've just done is you've explained to this person, when you brought this failure into the relationship, this is how I felt about it. And if this person cares and loves about you and can choose to respond with mutual submission, sacrificial love and respect, they'll hear what they've done to you and they'll make an adjustment. But what happens if it's just criticism? 
criticism brings a friend. It brings a friend into this. And almost always, when criticism starts, people don't respond with submission, love, and respect. They respond with defensiveness instead. Have, have you been there? Where you're feeling attacked, and so you decide to defend your honor. You're going to defend your character. You're going to defend whatever it is they've just brought in globally. You're going to defend all of that. But the funny thing about defensiveness is it doesn't stay defensive very long. It becomes very offensive. Because I'm not just going to defend myself. I'm going to prove to you that you're actually to blame. That you're actually the one with the fault. And so then we turn it around and we go after their character. We go after their personality. We go after what they're wearing that day. And you're like, where did that come from? I'm throwing the kitchen sink, man. I'm throwing every. I'll reach back 10 years into the past and drag something up there that will help me defend myself in this moment. And all of a sudden, this hurt that you could have expressed that I was disappointed by that, and this is how I felt, becomes criticism that becomes defensive, and then it really starts to heat up. Now, here's one of the things that researchers have found that happen with criticism and defensiveness. And they would say, when it starts hot, so the argument starts, and instead of it starting down here and having a conversation, it starts up here and I am angry! And you're like, that's toilet paper, why are we yelling? Right? They call it a harsh startup. When you start with hard, hard criticism up here and they respond with harsh defensiveness right here, your relationship has all the warning signs that it could break and not be fixed again. If it starts slow and it builds up and you find ways to calm it down and tap it down, you can weather the storm because they're going to be failures. You know they're going to happen. There's going to be failures, and you're going to respond wrong, and then they're going to get defensive. But if you can keep it tapped down, you can find a way to resolve this. But if you stay hot, if you stay hot and heavy, what they found is your, your heart um, rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, and um, you have one goal, to win. And you'll do anything to win. And it leads, it leads to a second thing that criticism and defensiveness can do in a relationship, that, that they see it. If they see it in that 15-minute discussion, they know you're in trouble. See, it turns out that of the two, one of you is built for a long fight and one of you isn't. And one of you is like the energizer bunny of arguing, man. You could go on and on and on and on, and you're going to do so until you win. And the other person... They get wore out. They don't have the emotional energy or capacity or desire to stay with it. And what they do, what they have called this is that you flood them. You so overwhelm them in this argument that's got so heated that they don't know how to respond anymore. And then they choose another white walker. You have two so far, right? Criticism and defensiveness. But if you're not careful, you choose the third one. And it's stonewalling. Where that person just decides to shut down. I'm not going to engage. Sometimes they shut down because they're overwhelmed. And the person who's overwhelming them feels disrespected by the fact that they've shut down. But they've missed 
that they were disrespecting this other person that they should know by now gets overwhelmed and they should have calmed it down before it got to that place. But that's not always, it's not always being overrun and being flooded that causes people to stonewall. Some of you have learned this habit over time with other relationships. Maybe you learned it from your family. And what happens is an argument starts and you don't like it and so you do this. You just shut down. You're as cold as ice. And you can go for days. You can go for weeks. Some of you are so dedicated, you can go for months. You're dedicated to the wrong thing, but you're dedicated. And what you do as soon as you stonewall is you shut down that relationship. There's no engaging. There's no finding a way to solve it. There's no hearing from each other. There's, the communication ends, and you needed communication to get to a resolve. All of these things start building up to cause tensions in the relationship. And it all has to do with how you've responded to a failure that somebody brought into the relationship. You wanted something, you expected something, and maybe it was a good want, maybe it was a, a, a worthy expectation, but they still failed, and yet how you respond is everything. And the words we use, and sometimes how we don't use them, causes problems. I, I want you to hear this. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, uh, it says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You have the ability to either bring life into that situation or you can throw open the door and invite in some white walkers that will kill it. All based on how you choose to respond. And your tongue has that kind of power. Now here's the thing. We've gone over three of them so far. The fourth one is the one that will bring death to your relationship. And it's a complicated one. It, it can't exist. It doesn't get there without the other three doing their work. The other three do their job. Habit over time, over and over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, it invites in number four. And then when number four gets settled, it starts showing up in the other ones. And so it becomes this mess. The fourth one is this contempt they found when a relationship gets to a place where there's been so much criticism and defensiveness and stonewalling that you start to feel a sense of contempt for the other person your relationship is near an end because you look at them and you don't see any positives anymore you just don't like them and it starts changing the criticism the criticism starts to become biting it's mean. It, it's harmful. It's, it's trying to find a way to hurt the other person. It's deeply cynical of everything that they stand for. Their motives, you doubt them. Their character, can't stand it. Their personality, annoying. And all of a sudden, you start to feel 
utterly disconnected from this person, you'll barely tolerate them, truth be told. And it all started when you threw open the gate and said, hey, I think criticism is the way for us to resolve these things. And it builds and it builds and it builds and it gets to a place where your relationship could be destroyed. Can I just tell you, it's possible to come back from that. It's months of work. It's months of redoing the way you're thinking and interacting with each other. But it's possible to have a loving relationship again. But I just want to warn some of you right now. Don't get to that place. Identify where you've gotten comfortable with these things in your life that we respond to each other with and say no. I'm not going to allow this. I'm not going to let th- I'm not going to allow this in big things. I'm not going to allow this in small things. <sighs> really easy to say. Had a great example till I went to my car this morning and then I had a real life example and then it wasn't so easy. Um, because my wife does something that absolutely drives me nuts. And she did it twice in two days. Yesterday I got in her car. We were going to swap cars because she needed my truck to go shopping with the kids. So I was going to drive the car to the men's golf outing. And I started up. And up on the screen pops six miles till empty. I'm like, what? I I was just going to do a quick run and back, but now I've got to stop. I've got to go get gas. I'm going to be late. So frustrating. But I'm going to do it. I'm just going to put the gas in. I'll shut up and just put the gas in. Right? Got in my truck this morning. (laughs) Below E with the light on. Thank God for pack and sack or I wouldn't be here right now. I'd still be walking. Right? Now here's the deal. I can choose how I respond to that ongoing failure. Like it keeps happening over and over again. And I can choose to be angry about that and say stuff like, you're just being lazy. You're just being disrespectful. You're just being, and do you hear the you statements? You always do this. Or I could find a way to keep it specific. Hey, we got an issue with the gas getting in the vehicles. And we got to figure this out. And she would smile at me. She did, actually. She laughed at me the first service. Goes, can't you just fill it up? Right? (laughs) Yes, I guess that's an option. Right? That's better than going with criticism that would cause her to be defensive, that would eventually lead me to Stonewall because I'm the first one to do it. I'm really good at a lot of these. I'm, I'm really good. And yet, if we can start making different habits on small things, the researchers have found this to be true. If you can make good habits on the small things, when the big things roll into your relationship, they don't destroy you. The stuff that everybody listed is the thing that brings a relationship to an end. They found that the couples who were responding to each other out of mutual submission, sacrificial love and respect instead of the white walkers could deal with the big things, even infidelity. We know couples 
who've even come back from that because they were choosing to build into their relationship the right habits. So let me just ask you, have you given the white walkers of marriage access to your life? Are they operating in your marriage? Are you developing bad habits outside with friends and colleagues and coworkers that you're bringing into your relationship because you're being critical there and so now you do it here? Is there a place where you've gotten comfortable with this because you're inviting trouble into that relationship? Over the next three weeks, we're gonna develop some things that you can do to start replacing the habits that we have because you're going to still be disappointed. Somebody's still going to fail you and you've got to find a way to respond better, differently. We have God's picture of what he wants. We have now an idea of how we most often respond and where that leads us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to figure out how we can respond more in the way that God had in mind. So I hope you'll come back. Uh, why don't you pray with me now? God, the truth is, we all have opportunities to be let down. Uh, we're failures because of sin. The people that we're connected to are going to fail us because of sin. And that initial thing that hurts us and harms us, God, the pain that we feel from that, it's real. The disappointment, the feeling let down, Sometimes we feel disrespected. All of that, all of that's real. But your idea is that we would respond differently, that we would respond in a way that captures your heart. And yet, what has often happened uh, more often than not is that we've kicked open our lives to these things that carry death, and we're surprised when they bring harm to us. God, I ask that you would help us to understand that we are utterly responsible for the failures that we bring into the relationship and we are utterly responsible for the responses that we have to those failures. May we choose to honor you. I ask you would help us to take this with a sense of seriousness that it deserves because relationships are being damaged left and right in our culture and you have a different picture for us. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could please stand and sing this last song with us.
strength to love each other the way you love us, the way you laid down your life, the way you laid down your heart and showed how great your love is for us. And I pray that we would look to you for the power and the strength and the courage to take the risk to love each other as you have loved us. And I pray for that strength this week and from now on in our marriages and all the relationships that we're in, that we look to you first, that we live because our hearts belong to you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for...
coming out today. I hope you have a great week.